The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property and loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. So he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, And let us eat and make merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what this meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf, because he has received him safe and sound. 
but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Lo, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has devoured your living with harlots, you killed for him the fatted calf. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to make merry and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The Gospel of the Lord. So we looked at this scene, as some of you will remember, during our retreat that we had for the vigilance and the oblates. Um, so I hope you will forgive me if there's some repetition, at least, uh, for some of the points that we were looking at. So it is, again, one of the most uh, consoling chapters, I think, in all of the Gospels. Right? When we read these parables, they touch everyone's heart. All of us are touched by the mercy of God that is revealed through them, because in our depths we all know that we stand in need of this mercy. Even you have this, these glimpses of the mercy of God as it bursts forth to his people from the book of Exodus. There with Moses as he receives the law, we know that the justice of God is something that the people have come to know. And it is something somewhat that they come to expect from God, a just God, and he is just. But we can see through this scene that he also desires to have people stand in the breach before him and petition for mercy because he is also a merciful God. And so it seems that the entire purpose and point of this scene, of this interaction between him and Moses, as God speaks about what is just, that it is just that these people should be done away with because they have not only turned away from God, but they are sacrificing to a God that they have created. They've not only sinned, but they are continually offending God. And this must stop and must come to an end. And the Lord's justice demands that. And yet, as the Lord speaks to Moses, he draws out of Moses something that is from within God his, himself, which is this beautiful mercy. And so Moses besought the Lord his God, saying, O Lord, why does thy wrath burn against hot against thy people? And then he goes through and he brings to remembrance, not that God needs remembering, but that we need remembering. All of the wonderful works of God that he does in his mercy. He could have wiped out creation at the first moment of sin, but he didn't. His mercy works to restore that which fell. And that's the principle that we see in the gospel today. That which is lost, God delights in finding. That which stands in need of mercy, God delights in showing mercy. And so he begins with the parable, and as the church fathers say, and as they point out, is that each of these different parables focuses on each of the different actors, if you will, in the role of mercy. The first is the shepherd, which represents Christ, the one who goes in search of the one that is lost. His motivation, mercy. He goes seeking the one that went away. 
he lowers himself to go search out for that which cannot find its way back to where it should be. When he finds the sheep, he is merciful. He lays it on his shoulders, as we've said before, representing how he takes us upon his own strength, his own power. He lays us on his shoulders. He elevates us in dignity, and he walks us home. We are sustained and walked back to eternal life by his grace, by his strength, by his mercy, by his love. We are simply the ones that are found. He is the one that does all the other work. And we participate in that work by not trying to remove ourselves from his shoulders. Then when he returns home, he shows what God rejoices in. Rejoice with me, not rejoice with the sheep, rejoice with me. The Lord loves to find that which is lost. One of the church fathers, and it's become, and you can see it in other theological writings, a principle, which is that the act of the salvation or the turning of one sinner from sin to grace gives more glory to God and is a greater act than the creation of the entire universe. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one that is found than over 99 in no need of repentance. Then it moves on to the next parable, which represents the church, the woman who searches, the bride of Christ, which goes out to accomplish the same work of the shepherd. We see a difference in the actors, but also in that which is lost. A coin is something which is lost without having any culpability. A coin is simply lost because of negligence. Someone has been negligent and has lost it. A sheep has a little bit more culpability, but it is still lost through a type of foolishness rather than a real willful being lost. As we will see later, the son of the, one, of the father who had given his inheritance, he is lost by his own will. He willfully walks away from what he has already, what he possesses already. But this woman teaches us as we form part of the church how we are to participate in Christ's mercy. She loses the coin, and so what does she do immediately? She lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and seeks diligently. That lamp, as the church fathers say, represents Christ. Christ in his presence. And so the lighting of the lamp is when the church elevates the presence of Christ to its rightful position, Jesus in the Eucharist, when he stands over the church as the light when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So the first activity of the church, lift the Lord up. Raise him to his rightful place and rightful dignity. Adore the Lord as what happens here. It is also Christ in the scriptures, in his word. Your word is a lamp for my steps and a light for my path. And so to light the lamp is also to take in the words of God and to proclaim them. So both the presence of Christ and the proclamation of his word are the first work of the church in the search of souls that have been lost, sometimes even by the negligence of the church. And so the first activity is to turn to the one who searches and the one who is light himself. Light the lamp, elevate Christ, proclaim his word. Sweep the house, the church fathers say, this represents stir up consciences, 
stir up consciences, which means, again, preaching the moral life that Christ calls us to and how we are to conform ourselves with right living and with Christ's law. And then she seeks diligently. She doesn't stop until the souls are found. And that is also our work that we must participate in. And then she also rejoices in that which God rejoices in, which is the finding of that which is lost. Our perfection is when we love what God loves and we rejoice in what he rejoices in. Unlike the Pharisees who murmur because the sinners are coming to Christ, we are called to rejoice when sinners return to the Savior. Lastly and briefly, we look at the longest of the parables, the man who has two sons. And one of them says to the father, give me the share of the inheritance that falls to me. In a certain sense, he wishes his father dead. He wants what comes after the death of his father now. He rejects the father and he wants only the gifts that the father can give. His words must cut the heart of the father deeply. And that is exactly what happens when we sin. We choose other things over our relationship with the father. We choose to love lesser things instead of the one who has loved us from all eternity. And so what happens is the father in his mercy, it says when he had given, he divided, it says, his substance between the sons, his substance. The church fathers say that this represents how we share in the image and likeness of God. He shares his substance with us, something that is to be used for our sanctification, but unfortunately we can also use it for wrong. We can use it for evil. It is particularly in our intellect and in our will that we can pursue the truth and that we can love. This is what makes us most like God. But we can abuse that. And so as the church fathers say, when he had taken all these things, the son, and went into a far country, this represents how we can leave the Lord in our mind, no longer thinking of him, no longer praying to him, no longer pondering God and his love and his mysteries. It also represents how we can leave the Lord in our heart, go away from loving God and turn our hearts to loving other and lesser things. And lastly, one of the church fathers says that going into a far country represents how we can lose our very self because apart from God, we lose who we are. When eventually he has fallen so deeply into a life of dissipation and sin, we can see that even what he desires is disordered. He used to dine at his father's table on beautiful foods, and now he desires the pods that the pigs eat. All of his interior has become disordered. He has reached rock bottom. But then there is a change, and this is important for us. It says, when he came to himself, he remembers his own dignity, that he is the child of a loving father. And it is the memory of the father that begins to draw him back to that origin, to that table at which he feasted. And this is the work of the word, the one who reveals the father to us. When we find ourselves lost, when we find ourselves in need of being found, that is most importantly when we take the word into our heart, the light when we find ourselves struggling to return to God, to remember him, 
is the first step in that direction, to remember his goodness, to contemplate his works. And so eventually he decides to rise and go to his father. And we see the last of the actors in the work of mercy, the one who is the culmination of that work and where the work of mercy finds its rest in the embrace of the father. And as he fixes in his heart to make this journey, he does not stop until he is embraced by the father. And his father is then lavish with him as he is lavish with all sinners. What happens here to the son is exactly what happens when we step into a confessional. We are clothed again with the best robe, which is Christ himself. The ring is put upon our finger, which takes us back into that family, into that communion of life with the Father. And then we are able to participate again in the banquet of the Father, which is the Mass, where the Son is that which we consume. There is no more noble, no better, no higher banquet, nothing better that we could consume than the Eucharist. This parable is not someone else. This parable is ourself. And this is the relationship and the love that the Father has had for us. And this is what we are called to, this work of mercy, a work which we have experienced, and we should rejoice and call others to the same experience. Amen.